Hello friends, my name is Nesta and welcome back to Unfiltered Noggin. On today's episode, I'll be covering the finale part two of The Black Widow of Sacramento, aka The Case of Dorothea Puente. And I just want to say, don't forget to watch part one because if you watch part two before part one, it's just not going to make sense. You know, it's just going to be more easier for you guys if you watch part one and then part two. And before we get into the episode, make sure you guys subscribe, leave a comment. I'd love to know your thoughts on this case. It's a wild one. And make sure you turn on your notifications. And yeah, let's get into the episode. Continuing on. She hired Flores to construct a six-foot by three-foot by two-foot box, which she claimed she would use to keep her belongings in. Once he got done, she paid Ismail $800 and gave him a red 1980 Ford pickup truck. Although she stated the vehicle was hers, it's not. It actually belongs to her missing lover, 77-year-old Everson Gilmouth. She and Flores then drove to Sutter County and dropped a box of her supposed belongings on a riverbank. And Flores questioned her about what's in the large box and all she said was, just some things I don't need. On January 1st, 1986, the box was discovered by a fisherman who called the police. When the police arrived and opened the box, they found the decomposed remains of an elderly man who would not be identified as Everson Gilmouth for another three years. During this time, Puente collected Gilmouth's pension and forged letters to his family. Dorothea Puente was charged with one count of murder, and according to authorities, she assisted Flores in disposing the human corpse in the Sacramento River. So therefore, not only was Dorothea charged with murder, but Ismail Flores was charged because he was the one who drove her to the riverbank and he's the one who built the box. By the way, Dorothea manages to get her home back on 1426 F Street since they only took it away from her because she was stealing government checks, as I mentioned in part one. And so she got her crib back and she continues to house offenders, the homeless, and mentally ill folks. During this time, parole officers went to her house approximately 15 times to see Puente, who had been instructed to keep away from the seniors and desist from handling government checks. However, there were no infractions ever documented. But you know Dorothea has trouble following the rules. And as a result, she would receive her tenants monthly mail before they had had the chance to look at them. So mail coming in from the tenants, families, and friends. And so she would pay them their stipends, like grants, and then pocket the rest of their money coming from the government, basically stealing their checks. Dorothea adopted this homeless person named Chief to be her personal handyman, and people in the neighborhood were very skeptical of this. She had Chief dig in her basement to remove any debris so that 
chief could construct a new concrete slab in the basement for her. And not long after that, chief just disappeared. Nobody ever seen him again. Besides his disappearance, there were three more people who went missing. Number one being an old lady named Betty. Number two, a man named Benjamin Fink. When Benjamin went missing in April of 1988, a tenant at the boarding house informed the police that he was last seen with Puente. And the third person who went mi missing was Liana Carpenter, who was also a tenant at the care home, and she somehow died from a drug overdose in 1987, despite the fact that she was already sick before her drug overdose. Her next victim was Alvaro Bert Montoya, who went missing in November of 1988. Montoya had schizophrenia and was regularly visited by a social worker named Judy Moise. And the way they met was so intriguing. Judy Moise, you see, volunteered at a local homeless shelter called the Detox Center. And so she met this man in his 50s. He had a white, bushy beard, a, a bit of a belly, and white hair. The next morning at this Detox Center, when she arrived, she saw him standing there. And so she was, she was like, she felt connected to him in a way, like there's just something about him that she couldn't put her finger on at the time. And so she kind of like brushes, brushes it off. The day after that, she sees him in the same clothes as yesterday. And she's like, wow, this, he probably wants my assistance. So Judy walks around and she starts questioning her coworkers about him and his background. And this man at the detox center that she sees turns out to be Alvaro Burt Montoya. And no one at the detox facility knew when he initially arrived at the center. Some claim it was like three to six years ago. He'd immigrated from Costa Rica with his family, and Judy quickly discovered that this man didn't speak much. He didn't talk a lot, and he didn't want to talk a lot. And when he would speak, he would either answer in basic English, like yes, no, what, and most times he would just speak his official language, Spanish. Bert was often spotted conversating with plants and other persons like spirits and so judy meets him and discovers he has schizophrenia and immediately senses bert's vulnerability and judy says things like i need to get bert out of here i need to get him his ids he needs disability checks like he shouldn't be in a homeless center like how come nobody realized this and so Moisey gets a job as a social worker and starts to take matters into her own hand. She starts talking with other social worker buds and they tell Judy, you know what, you want to help him? Go find him a boarding house. So Judy goes around scouting all of these boarding houses when Judy placed Bert Montoya in a home 
boarding home on 1426 F Street in February of 1988. And this boarding home was run by an elderly lady called Dorothea Puente. When Judy first encountered Dorothea Puente, she appeared to be this nice old granny, like as everyone portrays her. She just looked so like this innocent, cute grandma. She has dentures since all of her teeth have fallen out. She wears big glasses. She has gray hair. She's just cute as everybody portrays her. Judy found out that Puente's mission was to take in those who needed care, those who others don't really want to take care of, like offenders. And so she says, wow, I feel so relieved and so happy that Dorothea took Bert Montoya in as one of her own. October comes around and it has been months since Judy Moyes had heard from her client, Alvaro Burt Matoya. So Judy asks Dorothea on Burt's whereabouts, but Puente kept making up lots of excuses on Montoya not being there with her. For example, she would say, oh, he went on a mini vacation to Mexico. Oh, he went to Utah to visit his uncle. And she wasn't buying it because how is he in two places? How are you saying he's in Mexico? But no, he's not in Mexico. He's in Utah. Like you can't be in two places at once. And so she realized that and said, you're lying to me because there's no way that he left the country and that he's in, he's in like a few states above us, you know? And so she was done with all of this invasion. So Judy makes her way to the Sacramento police station and she tells the officers one of the craziest statements ever. She basically says, I have a client named Alvaro Burt Montoya and he's missing, but I think I know where he is. And all I need from you, the officers, is to follow me to 1426 F Street. And the police officers were like, you're starting to sound strange. We need more information. We can't just go knocking on civilians' doors, you know? But she's like, listen, I don't have any evidence, but all I can tell you right now is how I met Bert Montoya and that this lady did something to him. Like, please believe me. And so she finally does enough to convince the officers. And so they're thinking like, what's the worst that we can find? Let's just go check out this address. So they arrive in front of Dorothea Puente's residence. Dorothea opened up and welcomed the cops inside of her house. And as the police were asking questions, she denied all accusations about dead bodies and Bert Montoya not being with her. And she basically tells the police, look, Bert went to Utah with his uncle. And the police believed her at first until they got a tip in from one of Puente's tenants. And they basically said, well, the tenant basically said, look, Puente, Dorothea Puente is making me lie to you. She's making me deceive you. And uh, she told me to call Judy Moyes the social worker 
that told you to come to this residence. And she said, act as if you are Bert's uncle so that Judy Moist can get off of my tail. And so the police hear this, they're like, what the hell? Like, we really, we're really about to let this girl walk away. She could have something on birth and we need to know about it. So the police officers start asking her and telling her, look, we got a tip in saying that you're lying to us and that you're making one of your tenants lie for you. Like what's going on and why are you making your tenant lie for you? And so she basically says, look, I only did that because I needed this social worker to get off of my butt. Like she keeps coming to my residence. I can't focus. Like, yes, I know you do monthly checks, but this is more than monthly checks. And I can't have that happening. So that's why I did what I did. So the police were like, okay, well, can we check your backyard? Can we check the garden? Can we dig in your garden? Like, can we just investigate your garden? And so she says, sure, why not? So the officers call for backup and mind you, the garden starts from the front of the house on the left side and it runs to like the back of the house. So like, it's like grass, space, cement, grass, and then like space. It's not like just one whole space of grass. Like there's cuts in between with like cement, you know? And then there's a square of grass that's near the steps of the front door, just to paint an image. That's that's what it looks like. You could also search it up. You'll see a picture of what I'm talking about. And so the police officers, they start digging and digging and digging, and they find what looks like leather. So they ask Puente, and she says, oh, that's one of my leather jackets. But guess what? That wasn't no leather jacket, nor was that leather. It was actually human flesh but i guess at the time the police officers they couldn't recognize that it was human flesh and so they mistaked it for it being a leather jacket and so as a result they left it alone and started digging elsewhere in the garden that's when puente comes out of her victorian style boarding home in a rush she's wearing a nice red coat with an umbrella and so she tells the officers look i'm going up the road to get coffee at this hotel i'll be back and mind you at this time at this point in the story in the case there's news crews all over her residence there's police officers neighbors are out neighbors from down the street are in front of her residence trying to find what the hell is going on and so before she leaves, one of the officers says, I'll come with since it's getting late out. And so she says, okay, let's go. So they arrive at the hotel and Dorothea goes in to get her coffee, supposedly. And the officer leaves her at the hotel and goes back to her residence. And y'all, when this officer got back to the residence, there were seven corpses discovered in her garden, seven bodies, seven holes dug up by police officers, six feet deep. Some bodies were mutilated and some were not. 
but do you know what's so stomach churning about the fact that these seven victims were discovered? It was the fact that Dorothea actually cut off their prints so that they can go unidentified and that she also cut off their head, which makes sense. But she took some of their teeth out and put them in a box and just threw it into the neighbor's garden. Just imagine, you live next to a serial killer and they're doing this and you're seeing odd behavior from an old granny and you're thinking, wow, she's so adorable. And she just randomly throws a box full of teeth that you don't know there's teeth inside, just in your backyard. Whoa. And so the officer runs back to the hotel and this officer is frantic. Like he or she, whatever, wants to find Dorothea. So this officer gets to the hotel and Dorothea is nowhere to be found. So the officer asks the receptionist and the receptionist was like, I heard her call a cab, but that's, that's about all. And so the officer goes back to the residence and files a, well, a police officer can't really file a search warrant. They actually have to go stand in front of a judge because a search warrant is a court order and the judge has to order the search warrant for Dorothea. And so this happens and you're probably wondering, well, where the hell did this old lady who's probably in her 70s run off to? And she ran off to Los Angeles. She took a cab, a train, and she managed to get herself to Los Angeles. When she arrived in Los Angeles, she met a man at a bar, and this old man actually recognized her picture, her photo from the news because there was a search warrant for her arrest. And so this man, he calls LAPD saying, look, I have Dorothea Puente with me, come get her. And so the police come, they get her and they arrest her. Trial comes around and Dorothea that was until her death at the age of 82 on March 27, 2011 from natural causes. And this is the end of the case of the Black Widow of Sacramento, also known as the Garden of Corpses, the Death House Landlady. This is the finale. And all I can say is make sure you watch part one so that it can make sense. And... Don't forget to subscribe and turn on your notifications so that you'll get notified when I post. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.